0: stay on and before we get into the show, I want to shout out everybody who came out to Smart Funny and Black over this year. We have done a number of shows this year, including our tour. We also hit up Chicago. We also did two shows in L.A. And it really has just been an exciting year of seeing the show grow and continue to expand. And we just did our last show of the year in Chicago with Spice Adams. Thank you to everybody who came out to that. And just thank you to everybody who continues to support Smart Funny and Black, the live show and the brand. We are looking forward to bringing you so much more next Next year, from under the Smart Funny and Black heading uh, podcast, uh, a festival masterclasses so really looking to share with you all more that speaks to comedy through the black lens so look out for that and again i can't tell you how much this all happens with your support everything i do essentially comes from a grassroots place so it's all about the word of mouth and the sharing of things which also leads me into my book small doses potent truths for everyday use will be released october 22nd on abrams press and I didn't know this, but essentially, in order to become a New York Times bestseller, it's all about how many books you sell the first week. And building up the anticipation with pre-orders as well. So to all of my listeners, I want to just tell you all that I appreciate you listening to the show. And I would love for you to pre-order my book, Small Doses. You can go to smalldosesbook.com so that you can get your pre-order in. And they have a number of different retailers at the bottom of the page that you can click on. And we'll be offering a promotion where if you buy a pre-order, you actually will get a Small Doses pin So you'll get a Small Doses lapel pin for free once you pre-order the book, Small Doses. But I just really wanted to enumerate how important it is that you guys speak amongst yourselves in sharing about this book, about sharing your excitement, etc. Because I know for me, that is how I have been able to continue to give you all good stuff. We never promote this podcast. Like, I've never done interviews about this podcast. I haven't done any press, nothing. This podcast continues to thrive because you all continue to share how much you love it with other people who then listen to it and share it with other people. And that grapevine, that word of mouth, that to me is the true marketing. Because what that is, is that's people trusting something who have people who trust them. And I want people to get my stuff because they trust the person they've got it from. And I trust y'all to help spread the word. So, make sure you get small doses at smalldosesbook.com and let folks know that we got some good shit coming. Now, let's start the show. Small doses. Self help from the hip. Small doses. We're talking that shit. Small doses. And keeping it real. Small doses. With me and M Seals. It's so funky. <laughs> Welcome to part two of Side Effects of Professionalism. Last week, you talked about the realities between being personable and informal and how that plays out in real time. And I shared some stories with you all that I've experienced in my professional life. And I felt like the conversation wasn't done because I really wanted to hear from you all in relation to your DMTs, and we didn't have time last week. So we're dedicating this episode this week to all DMTs. And I think that um, I think that it's really just I am an artist, and I've definitely like been inhabiting like an artist' space, which can be kind of a different set of rules, it seems like for professionalism. But for a long time, like, I wasn't, you know. I was working regular jobs like The Gap and P.F. Chang's and F.A.O. Schwartz and the Odeon Restaurant and Canyon Road. Like, I mean, I've, like, worked in regular places, you know, that are, like, whether it's retail or food service. And then I worked at Sirius Satellite Radio, which for all intents and purposes is a corporation and an office that seems that, that happens to have a radio station. Like it doesn't operate like we're a radio station. And then there's offices. No. It definitely feels like we, we are in an office. Now I go do radio. radio. Um, so in those experiences and in the range of those experiences, I just really got to learn a lot, like In real time about the way that professionalism is carried out in different spaces, whether it be in a corporate space, whether it be in service industry Um, and then in the arts, like arts and entertainment space. And I think that for me, though, I never felt like there was even that much of a difference in the sense that it should always be at ground level, a basic understanding that, like, you respect people you're considerate of people and you treat people like they're actual people. And you would be surprised or maybe you wouldn't how often that gets overlooked. And I'm not even going to tell y'all that I've been flawless in that in my own right. Cause I've definitely had times where like I'm caught up in myself and my needs and forgetting like, Oh, this person has like a whole other life. Like, yeah. So I've had to get checked on that before. 100%. And You know, you take the check on the chin and you keep it moving. So today we're going to get into your DMTs, and uh, we got a lot of good ones. So DMT, we're serving it. First question: How do you maintain your professionalism when dealing with coonists, aka black people who try to make you look incompetent around white people for clout? Came out swinging, y'all. Came out swinging. Pew, 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 pew. Ooh. Finish him. You know, I mean, this is a toughie. This is a toughie because they're being unprofessional. So you feel so compelled to get in that ass because you're really just like, how is this even happening? Well, one rule of thumb just in life is don't ever let other people's indecency make you lose decency. So that's like a bottom line. Like never let somebody else's shittery make you full of shit. You know, like that's just not, you can't let that happen. But it's not easy. In this situation, I think it really just ends up being about creating boundaries and trying to figure out ways to like create distance from like you having to work with this person. If you're able at all to do that, then make that happen. Because... That is very treacherous. Like, that's a thing that happens in real life. And me and um, Sal Masekela were talking about tokenism on one of the episodes, Side Effects of Being Tokens. And that's a real thing where, like, there are black folks who will work somewhere and feel like if anybody else is black, that they are a threat to that person's, you know, role in the company or a threat to that person's value. And so they'll absolutely try to undermine you. They'll absolutely try to, like, you know... Take you out the game, embarrass you, humiliate you, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. and on the most benign of levels, it just makes you look dumb and makes them look good. But that can also end up having like really harrowing effects if them making you look dumb makes you look ineffective or um, replaceable. And next thing you know, you don't have a job. So it's something that you can't let like you can't let let sleeping dogs lie because that, that dog, dog is awake. Okay. I think that um if it's a situation where you can't like separate from the person it depends on where you're working. So if you work in a corporate structure, I hate that this is how shit is, but you legit have to file an HR report. And the question is like, damn, what language do I use in my HR report? This, this opportunist. But it's like everything about corporations is a paper trail and putting things on the books and keeping things very above board. And very out in the open, so it's like even if you don't want to go to the extent of the HR level of things, like it may be worth like sending a direct email to your superior that you know just clarifies any misperceptions um, and puts you paints you in a good light. You know your superior, so you know if they're receptive to that or not, but. It's such a frustrating scenario to be in like that. Because honestly, the deeper part of that is just how you're just like, we should really be on the same team. And I think that for what it's worth is like the paradox of being a black professional in this country and like simultaneously wanting to like be an individual and work on your own goals and handle that. But also knowing that, you are a part of, like, a political movement by simply being a black person working in this country. Like, that alone, like, you carry that, whether you like it or not. Like, some people love to, like, try and recuse themselves from the shit, but it's like, you can't. It's just what it is. So, I hope that that situation gets rectified, and I hope that you're at least, I mean, if at all possible, able to just, you know, like sidestep from having to be in the same space as them. And that ends up working out for both of y'all. They don't feel threatened and you don't feel attacked. And that's that. B- Oh my God, side note, speaking of professionalism, I accidentally bum bumped like in the presence of LeVar Burton. (laughs) The other day when I did his podcast, I like answered something and I was like, b- Oh shit. Like you know, and I, I mean, listen, of course I'm exaggerating by that, that, by that not being professional, but it was just like, I'm I using your shit work. to you. How'd that work? How'd that line up? So yeah, there's that. Next question. How do you go about a friend you recommended slash referenced for a position at your workplace, got the job and now acting like a damn fool? And then they put in parentheses, what I get for helping a friend out. Girl, we talk about this and side effects of working with friends. <sighs> I think that first step is to address the friend directly. And you got to address the friend directly to let them know, one, because maybe they don't know. Right? So like maybe they don't know about what they're giving off. And then two, they also need to know that like what they're doing could affect you deleteriously and can't have that. We can't have that. So it ends up being a two-part conversation on how their behavior is affecting folks. Not only how it's affecting, you know, themselves, but how it can adversely affect you and your role at this company Um, or at this business, I should say. I think that simultaneously, um, you got to kind of gauge like, Is (laughs) are they looking at you sideways like, this is, I mean, this is who you brought in? Because I think everybody kind of should have a certain level of grace for the fact that, like, you have the best intentions for your friends. But sometimes, like, they are definitely different as your friends than they are as employees. Like, that's just a fact, you know? And you learn that the hard way sometimes. You're like, yo... Like, I've I've noticed this person is a certain kind of person and they operate this way. So you're like, yeah, they would be perfect for this. And then you employ them and you're like, oh, you only operate that way in this specific scenario. That didn't transfer over to this scenario. And then it might be a situation where they may feel more comfortable because you already work there. So you kind of got to just like nip that in the bud and get it in check. If after that, they're still like on some fuckery, I mean, that's when you got to be like, You know, I just want to apologize for Daphne. Uh, I, you know, really thought that she would be a good pick. And because you're not going to have to go and apologize beforehand. It will come back to you. I just feel like it always inevitably comes back to you where they're like, so what made you, um, so how do you, you know how the question gets posed? So how do you and Daphne know each other? Because there's always somebody who's trying to figure out like, how did this bullshit artist get in a cahoots with you? Because they're going to definitely try to associate you. And now you have to figure out a way to simultaneously absolve yourself from, like, the, the bullshittery of this person. While at the same time not looking like a switch sider. Because that's not cool either. Like, your whole crew, switch siders. I come through, they be like, hey, Cam, dick riders. Like... <laughs> That's literally my favorite Cameron Lyric of all time. So it's a rough spot. It's a rough spot. But when they ask that question, so how do you and Daphne know each other? Just know. That's what they own. Okay? That's what they're asking. What they're really asking is, so how the fuck? That's it. (laughs) That's it. And you know when it comes down and you're going to end up being like, man I know she was screwing up man Like, you know like it's, it's rough it's rough I also think it's going to be rough that I think I may have eaten some bad bacon this morning some bad turkey bacon and I feel like my stomach is at that point where it's trying to decide like how it wants to play it and I feel like maybe I should drink some Pepto-Bismol to help it just stay intact right? I'll be back Next question. Can you explain how professionalism has become an excuse for passive aggression? So I talk about this in my special because I think that like white girls specifically have made this an actual thing that, you know, speaking directly about something is considered unprofessional and doing shit that is very clearly passive aggressive is now being considered professional simply because it's not confrontational. And this idea that simply addressing something directly is confrontational is really a problem. Because a lot of times to me, like the, the, the amount of back channeling and side swiping that has to happen because of this you know, um, trend, ends up actually like decreasing efficiency. So what's, what's the, the point? point? Well, it ends up really being more about like protecting people's feelings than actually like getting the job done, and I think that that's really a um, a, real- a reality in a lot of these offices, and it is predominantly being carried out by white women who are definitely on some shit like oh, I'm gonna cry if you tell me something about my job, and yet like there's. There's just this very pervasive use of tactics that are like microaggressions that are, um, that are... Oh, what is the word I'm looking for? I don't know if any of you all watch Fleabag, but like her her stepmother slash godmother is the personification of what I'm talking about when I refer to passive aggression being masked as professionalism. Because it's like people who smile as they're cutting you, you know? But because they're smiling and because it's being delivered in a low tone, it's like, well, I wasn't nasty. Like, I wasn't being mean. Like, I wasn't being hurtful. And it's like... Yeah, well, you may not have had like the ingredients of all of that, but you had the intention of that. And so to me, it's gotten to a point in a lot of offices where the reality of just addressing something directly is considered not professional. And so passive aggression has now taken on this role of being professional because you now, because even if the shit still has to get addressed, you have to do it passively And a lot of times if something has to be addressed that was done wrong, right, Right. you have to, it ends up being passive aggressive because if you're too passive, it doesn't get addressed at all. So you have to put some oomph behind it. And that's where the passive aggression comes with doing shit like CCing a bunch of unnecessary people so that, you know, you are letting somebody know that you've put them on notice, uh, that you've put all these other people on notice about their behavior. You know, another passive aggressive tactic is like, you know, asking a question you know the answer to just to let someone know that you know, you know, like I I've just been in these situations where Someone actively is attempting to goat you, but because they are not doing it in a like confrontational or like hostile fashion, it's like, well, I'm being professional. It's like, no, but you're still being aggressive. It's just passive aggressive. And that's what I mean by that. I just, it makes it really hard to work. It really does. It makes it really hard to work because once that becomes the culture of a workspace, it's almost like literally everything is considered an attack. Everything is considered, you know, fair game or passive aggressive. Like it just it tips the scales to where you just don't know how to handle things. You don't know how anyone's going to take anything, and there's so much like cloaked um, deceit and frustration. That you don't really know if you're even being received. So it makes it... I mean, I I have absolutely had the frustration of like, it, it don't matter, matter what, what I, I say, they gonna it take it how they take it. it. Like, I've been in them situations my whole life, you know? And so it's... And I know a lot of black women listening to this podcast right now are working in situations where literally they could say happy birthday and get an HR write-up. I felt like she was being very aggressive and it just felt like she was attacking me and expecting me to have to be happy on my birthday and that's my right and my prerogative and I just feel like Shanice is um, targeting me and I'm uncomfortable I'm uncomfortable and I just feel like she's like doesn't like me you know what I mean and it's like, I don't even understand why she doesn't like me. Like, I've always like, really kind to her. Like, like you know, I like, I told her, like, I really like your wig. And I don't know, like, why that bothered her. You know what I'm saying? Like, it was a nice wig. And everybody else in the meeting thought it was a nice wig, too. You know? So, like, I don't even understand. Like, the clients, like, they would, thought her wig was nice. So, like, what's the problem? And Shanice is in her office. Like, this bitch really... Asked me about a wig in a client meeting and thought she was being kind. That bitch knew that wasn't kind. She fucking knew. (laughs) Uh, Workplace drama, y'all. Workplace drama. Mm -hmm. Hear that sound? That's Shanice stirring up her tea. Just trying to calm down. <laughs> Next question. Being a black professional in a white office, as we know, is hard because we have to be very careful to show feelings of conviviality and... Ooh, you better say conviviality! ...and pleasantness, especially in response to racial issues. I felt that emotions of anger, frustration, and annoyance are discouraged, even when they worked in settings where these emotions were generally welcomed in certain contexts. Think litigators interacting with opposing counsel or financial analysts responding to a stressful day on Wall Street. How do you find that balance of trying to create a work identity as a member of a minority group without disturbing or, I guess, taxing common cultural stereotypes? Do we really have to become a whole new person just to survive at work? I feel like that energy being wasted on that could be applied to your actual work. You are correct. You are correct. You are correct. You are correct. It is. We We wear wear the the mask mask that grins and and lies. You know, Paul Lawrence Dunbar wrote about it and it couldn't, it's still true. And it really is like an extra burden to carry to work with you every day because you're doing double work. You're doing the work of the job and then you're doing the work of having to work at the job. (laughs) And that is something that a lot of folks don't have to do, you know, like, especially not for that specific reason, you know, like the the fact that you feel like you have to do that simply because you have a cultural difference or just because of the color of your skin is just so exhausting you know i have a friend who told me that like he has he used to like be tired at the end of the day like his face used to be tired cuz he had spent all day smiling because he was a 6 foot 5 black man and he wanted to make them feel like that he was amenable Because there was this over there was just like an overarching essence by simply just because of his physical form that he's a threat. And so he has to apply this guise every day. And it's not even a guise in the sake that he's not actually a threat, but it's this extra layer of um, persona and disposition simply to make people feel like they are comfortable And, you know, I just think that it really is unprofessional to have to do that. I don't think it is fair. I think it really is just a continued manifestation of the racism in this country and the failure to really embrace other cultures as equal, etc. And it continues to really just echo like this notion that if it ain't white, it ain't right. And there has to be like company culture dedicated to dissolving that. You know, a friend of mine used to work at a very, very, very well-known tech company where she had a co-worker who was a white guy and he had just started a narrative with her boss that she scared him. Like, that, he just began that narrative and the boss never corroborated it, like never felt the need to like speak to her about how she felt about that. She just took it and ran and began questioning her about like, why are you scaring Garrett? And she was like, just so irritated by the fact that there was no consideration for the fact that like, maybe this is a misperception or maybe Garrett's making this up or whatever. All that mattered was like, Garrett expressed this. So she must be doing it. And as a black woman in these spaces, like that is just an incredibly frustrating feeling. And I know there's a lot of people who happen to be white. They're listening to this podcast. You got to understand the black people working at your job every day they come in. And I, I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to say that this is everybody, but I, I'm pretty fucking sure there's a blank. This is a fair blank statement that I can make. The black people working at your job, for, for the, the most part, part, don't feel like they can be their full selves at your job. One thousand percent. They don't feel like they can because they don't feel like it's a safe space. They don't feel like they want to have to explain certain shit. And they don't feel like you're going to even understand if they do. I talk about this in my book, Small Doses, Potent Truths for Everyday Use. Available,
1: available for pre-sale, pre-sale right now at, at
0: smalldosesbook.com. I talk about race in the workplace and just the specificities of how that plays out. So to this to this person who wrote this DMT question, you know, it really is a hard balance because you're really trying to figure out, the real thing you're trying to figure out is, how do I how do I sufficiently make a safe space for myself at this company like without giving up the integrity of my own actual identity? Right? Because am I really going to have to fake the funk in order to feel like I am not being somebody who is playing into the trope of the angry black woman or the mammy or the Jezebel, et cetera? Like, do I have to create this persona? When I first moved to LA, a number of people in my life who I really trust told me, Amanda, like, you're not going to be able to be yourself in LA. LA is very fake, is very phony. And, you know, people really don't like directness. And so when I came out here, I was really struggling with that because I had no reason to not believe them. And these are people that I really trusted. But it was also just like, damn, like this is a heavy weight to carry because I'm going to a new place and I'm just supposed to like just snap my fingers and become someone new. And it just doesn't work that way. Like you really, you really have to evolve into that space out of necessity but also out of like purposeful intention for your well-being. And in that moment, that didn't seem as obvious to me as it made to some other people. Because I know some people are like, well, yeah, if they're telling you that, doesn't it seem like that'd be purposeful intention for your well-being? It's like, yeah, but part of my well-being is me being able to be myself without feeling like I have to adjust to make everybody else comfortable. Now, I ended up basically throwing that out the window and to be perfectly frank i feel like it is my authenticity that it allowed me to like get this far it still puts me in situations like getting escorted out of a club because somebody don't like me but at the end of the day i still know who i am and i for for what it's worth i if you're gonna escort me out of a club i'd rather you do that for me being myself than for me being on some fuck shit you know, like if I got escorted out the club for being phony, I would be pissed as shit. Like, God damn, I put in all that phony work and st- and, and, and they played me. What the fuck am I being phony for? And that's what ends up happening with a lot of us in these workplaces. You end up like creating these personas because you're like, I got to do this to retain like a safe, you know, position at this job. And and then they end up firing you from the job anyway. Or they end up laying you off from the job anyway. And it's like, was it even worth it? Sometimes it is, sometimes it wasn't. But I'm very fascinated about like telling the story of these types of scenarios because I think a lot of people really don't understand the emotional hardship and heavy lifting that people like this person who wrote in this question are doing every day at the job because they have to simultaneously do their job while doing the job of protecting their own, <laughs> their own livelihood as well as protecting the perception of blackness. It's a lot, y'all. That's a lot. I ain't not got shit to do with professionalism either. That's the part that makes it so frustrating. It, it doesn't. Does. But it ends up being a part of the narrative for black folks at, at work because when we are blacky black folks at work, it still gets looked at as unprofessional. There's that. Like if you speak at work in the same way that you speak on the block, it's unprofessional. You know, if you um, are carrying out, you know, like there's certain like black cultural norms, like the way we laugh and respond to things. And even to be perfectly frank, black folks in general are just more confrontational. And I don't say that with a negative connotation. I just mean like we will confront things head on. Like that's kind of a cultural thing to just be like, okay, okay what's, what's up? up? Like, tell, tell me, me what, what it mean. is. And With that being said, when you do that in a workplace, a lot of times it's seen as hostile or seen as like you being the angry black woman or you being, you know, nasty when really it's like, I'm just moving how I typically move and you have to like really work against that even though it's not, like you said, helpful to you actually doing your job. So I apologize like on behalf of, I mean, I'm 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 not making it it happen, but I just just, I just decided decided that you got to deal with with that. that because... You know, I work for myself at this point. I still got to deal with that to a certain extent, but not for the same reasons. And there is no quick fix, and there's no easy answer to give you. There really isn't. You just got to do what is best for you. You just got to do what gives you the peace of mind to sleep at night. And um, and hopefully that doesn't involve cooning. next question how do you stay professional with someone you want to keep working with because you have to when they are acting so crazy like playing a blame game and we are almost 40 years old it does not matter that much none of it matters that much just be accountable and move on i feel like professionalism is about trust and when you shrug responsibility i can't trust you please how do you deal with people like that girl Job. I'm in the same boat. I'm in the same boat. I think one, you lower your expectations of that person and you take into real stock what your role is and how your role can be carried out by you with the least um, of ex- the least amount of exertion. Um and it just sucks because what you're really saying is like I'm not going to enjoy working with this person anymore now that I know how they are. That's what you're really saying. Like, I have to continue working with this person, but now, like, I don't even want to because they act in ridiculous. And how can I enjoy working with you when I can't trust working with you? <sighs> Listen. That's the times when, like, people start really going on hella vacations, you know, and, like, using their weekends in a real way because when you are at work and you feel like you don't have any allies that's one thing but when you are at work and you feel like you got somebody working with you that you really have to watch their back and you gotta watch your back for how they're gonna come at your back oh my god you're just like why can't work just be about the work and it's because people are crazy and shady and shady and immature, and narcissistic, and that comes in like all different packages. And uh, you got to saw. You just got to woosah, lower your expectations, and really deal with this person on a very like specific basis. And that to me is so irritating. I get it because you're at work. Like you don't necessarily want to just keep it like, parsed to this instance and this issue and this conversation, you know, but sometimes you got to do that. And you know what can happen sometimes in a perfect world? What ends up happening is the other person like actually senses it, right? And they they realize that there's been a shift. And you may get the opportunity to talk about it because they don't like the shift either. In which case you're able to say, well, I had to shift because you was on some shit. And so, you know, your shit made me shift. It was a shit shift. You was on some shit, so I had to shift. So the next time I had a shift with you, it didn't happen to turn into shit. Because I'm with the shits. Next question. I have a strong desire to share the knowledge I've gained with younger women, specifically, especially women of color, because I remember wanting to have someone to ask when I was starting out. But it seems as though they don't care or don't want to listen. Do we just keep all this knowledge to ourselves or share anyway, even though it may not be received? I'm of the mind of share anyway. Because I think that the reality is that sometimes people aren't letting you know it's received, but it is received. It's like with your dude. You know, you say some shit to your man and he'll brush it off or, you know, just be like, you don't know what you're talking about. Or, you know, I don't understand what you're saying. Like, whatever. And then fast forward, you're like wait, you're watching them do the shit that you told them about. And (laughs) you're like, so that did sink into your cranium. Ha! So I think like a lot of times with the youth or with younger folks, there's like a youthful pride that gets in the way of acknowledging someone trying to help you. And I think that that sometimes can dissolve, but it's discouraging for you Because you're like, but I'm helping and I want to feel like they're receiving. I want to have discussions. You know, I'm not your enemy. I'm on your team. And I hear that. But I think that we all remember being young. And sometimes it just feels like when someone's trying to help you, they're trying to push you in a direction of where they want to go. Or they're trying to impart, like not their wisdom, but their principles and their ideals onto you, you know? And you just don't want to feel led. It's that idea of, like, I have independence. I can lead my own charge. I don't need this person to, like, you know, tell me what to do. You ain't the boss of me. You don't tell me. And you have to kind of, like, shake that off. And I've also been able to, like, kind of get through to to young folks sometimes when I just tell them straight up, like, I know you don't want to hear me. Because you feel like I'm trying to lead you down a road or I'm trying to tell you what to do. But I just want to give you this information for you to process as you see fit. And I think with any relationship, you know, any type of interaction, people appreciate the option of choice. You know, people appreciate just kind of presenting them with, with something and giving them the option and the authority to decide on how they want to utilize it. And with younger folks that comes into play by simply just saying like, I'm going to give you this. You could take it, you can leave it, but I feel compelled to put this in your crawl because I was where you were. And (laughs) it would have helped me to know back then. It's just, it's just what it is. And, um, And also... You know, there's organizations, and I think that there's other spaces that would be like absolutely more welcoming to this because they're like built for that purpose. And so, there's something uh, worth kind of doing some research to see how you can offer up your services into those spaces, especially like young women's groups, you know, and um, and also groups that are like working to like help uh, women who have either been like addicts or victims of abuse, like get back into the workforce, etc. Like, they're always looking for people to come and speak and share their wisdom and their insight on the work place and on this whole weird like corporate and professional structure. So, you know, don't 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 give up, girl. Don't give in. Like someday, you know, you're going to get your opportunity to be that that person to the right group of people who, you know, at the end of their internship class decide to surprise you by forming an a cappella group and singing Lean on Me to you in the break room. And then it'll all be worth it. Sometimes in our lives We all have faith We all have sorrow But if we are wise We all will say We'll have tomorrow Lean on me mm. When you're not strong I'll be your strength I'll help you carry Shanice, that's not the note. I need You're supposed to be, I'll help you carry on. Oh, my bad, girl, my bad. Bring it back, bring it back. Doesn't that feel good? You know that's going to happen one day, girl. Wait it out, but keep on teaching the children. We got to teach the babies, because we love the kids. And by kids, I mean 21-year-olds who refuse to listen to Logic. Oh, these are some good ones. mm Why do our people, black people, feel so comfortable to act like we are friends when they are hired for a give, i.e. driver, security, etc. They become extra talkative, playing whatever music they want, etc. I feel this to my core. I feel it to my core. The answer is an easy answer, though. The answer is because black people feel like we are a part of a big family because we have a shared experience of struggle in this country that has, by nature, made us a tribe. So that's the bottom line about that. Like Now, my work is in really trying to remind us that our shared community our shared culture is about more than struggle it's about the innovation that we have made it's about the communities that we have built Um, and it's about the excellence that we have continued to aspire to and achieve in spite of said struggle and i think those ends up to me being way more important to acknowledge I i digress the reason why Folks, beyond that is because they're like, come on, cuz, like we made it. And so, this brings us back to episode one, where we talked about being personable versus informal. And sometimes that level of familiarity of family that is amongst black folks, it ends up really just beyond encroaching, but transgressing the line of personable and informal. And really, it's like, I be feeling like, okay, we should have a higher level of personable between our people because we already know the extra shit we're having to carry we've We've talked talked about about it all episode episode, right so there is to me like a certain level of personability that I think we should extend to each other just to feel like you're helping to alleviate someone else's daily struggle and that's why like for all you happen to be whites listening like you need to extend that because real talk like people are stressed as fuck at work trying to just make y'all feel comfortable all the goddamn time so anytime that you can like create a space of like letting someone know that you're a Hannah and that they don't gotta do that shit that they've been doing with Becky with you, like you're really stepping up to be an ally. Because this shit is, shit is fucking tiring, tiring yo. yo. And you really just want to know like who can I be like in a more not and I don't mean relaxed in an informal way. I just mean in a more authentic way with at your job. So with black folks though, we oftentimes just, cause it always, I feel like for a lot of black folks feels like we done snuck in the job. We done snuck in the job and, and, and now we there. And so now if you, if I snuck in, maybe I'm thinking that you snuck in. And now there's this like shared kind of like honor amongst thieves kind of thing going on. But truth be told, like there should never be any reason to be unprofessional. And, it sucks because then there's always this kind of feeling that if you correct it or if you try to acknowledge it that you're being looked at as a sellout or a coon or you're trying to like take all the fun out or something like that. And that's, you know, that's not ever really necessary. I feel like that's 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 when I get frustrated. I deal with that a lot in production because in a lot of production spaces there's just like an over-familiarity in, in black productions and it just doesn't by any means like enhance... The production, if it goes beyond personable, when it gets into a space of familiarity that makes you feel like you don't got to work as hard, it's frustrating. You know, because that also kind of brings us to the question of like, so do you feel like you don't got to work as hard if you're working for your friend? Do you feel like you don't got to work as hard if you're working for family? You know, like that's, that's some backwards. But we've got such a history and such a... You know, oh my God, there's just so much, so many layers to what it is to be black and professional in this country. And it continues, you know, like the fact that New York just passed the law that you can't get fired for wearing natural hair in 2019 in New York. Like that lets you know, like, we've made progress, but it is slow. It's fits and starts. I can't even say it's steady. It's fits and starts. It's fits and starts. And and that as so if you're listening to this podcast and you're a black professional and you run a black business in particular and you have black employees, I wanna challenge you to figure out like how do you how do you create a culture of personability that isn't informality? And the reason I think this is very important. It's because we still are in America. We still are in a country where we are not equal and where we still do have to enter spaces that are not safe in order to excel, to create our own spaces. And in doing so, we have to navigate. And when we create a practice of informality, it makes it harder for us to go over and infiltrate those spaces to widen them, to, in, to invite other folks and other perspectives into it. Because we go over there and then we don't know how to act. And... It doesn't invite anything. If we're being honest, like if I'm gonna be real frank, black people have had less practice in this country with professionalism in the way that capitalism was made in this country. We were denied the right to operate in those spaces. We created our own spaces where we had our own cultural norms and expectations and then those spaces were systematically dismantled and obliterated in violent ways not just like systematic ways. I'm talking like they bombed Black Wall Street in Oklahoma, okay? They bombed them them houses in Philadelphia that were originally like houses that black like wealthy black creatives had made. So I think that it's important to just conceptualize like what the space of professional is especially if you're a leader, like for those who are listening, who are building their own spaces of, you know, professional work or business. Um, Those who are, you know, just considering like, okay, how do I want my staff to operate? How do I want people to, um, you know, just interact? Like the hardest lesson that I've had to learn is that it really all is dictated by me. Like, if I'm in a mood, it's putting everybody in a mood. If I want things to run smoothly, I have to run things smoothly. And if I want there to be a better workflow, I have to figure out that workflow, which could mean me designating the person who is best at figuring out that workflow. But at the end of the day, like, it really... All comes down to me. And that can be like a very like overwhelming burden that can make you say, well, maybe that's not the type of space I want to be in. Like I had a homegirl who was like, I want to start my own publicity firm. And then when she started really thinking about it, she was like, that's too much responsibility. I don't don't want to have to like think that hard, you know, and that's fair. That's completely fair because so much about being professional is about being able to think on your feet. And about being able to think logically and rationally and not let emotion be the cause of decisions that are harmful to your business. Now, I think it's really ridiculous to consider that like emotions don't play a part in business because that's bullshit. Yeah, sure. Like your emotion is connected to your intuition. And when you are in business, like so much of what you do ends up being based on your gut. I feel like the best people in business are do so do well because they have figured out a way to balance fact and statistics and trend with what they know innately in their body and their spirit and their connectivity to whatever they work in. And, uh, you know, like the best executives to me in, in this field of television and film are the ones who are able to understand that they're having to deal with the fiscal specificities of numbers, as well as the subjective liberation of art and how to marry those two. And the best executives understand that it's not easy to marry those two and it's going to require a certain level of acuity in order to do it as best as possible. When it comes to being professional There's a lot of rules and regs that change depending on the professional space that you're in. The best thing I can suggest for everybody is to do your best in any new position at finding out what that really is. You know, every job has an employee handbook and you gotta get your hands on that employee handbook and learn that employee handbook from top to bottom. When I was at Purchase College and I had to figure out how to graduate on time with my own major, I had to learn the actual like admissions guidelines head to toe because I couldn't depend on an advisor because I had a unique case where the advisors just didn't know the ins and outs and I could have gotten left in the dust. Well, you got to look at you as that unique case and that ain't nobody, no HR person, no supervisor, no coworker is going to care as much about how you work at that job as you do. So anything that you can get in terms of guidelines and guidance in how the professional space that you're stepping into operates, get, get your hands, hands on it. And that can mean an employee handbook. That can mean asking a co-worker to lunch and just getting a gauge for like their experience at that job and, you know, their, uh, their understanding of tone. Let me tell you something. When you take people out the workplace to talk about the workplace, that's when you learn the most about the workplace. Okay. okay. Because even if you have lunch in the building, they still feel that essence of Big Brother watching. So it's not to say that you got to build a whole friendship with somebody, but it just is that extra step you take to give you that extra step ahead. The Last Dope Being professional can sometimes feel like you are being harnessed, like you're being um, diminished, like you are being controlled. In some cases and in some jobs, their professional standard is that. And you have to decide how valuable that job is to you and how bothersome those things are to you. But when it really matters is when you say to yourself, Can I go home after work and feel good about how I had to carry myself at work? Can I go home after work and feel good about the work that I'm doing? And there's a lot of jobs out here where the idea of being professional means not saying anything, it means not questioning, it means going blindly. And that, to me, is a bastardization of what it means to be professional. Professionalism simply just means you go to work and you uphold the work that you're doing with ethics and with awareness. And you don't let things that have nothing to do with that work affect the work. And that's professional.
1: Now, when people come out they face at your
0: job, you're going to say to yourself, ooh, <laughs> You know know what? what? I'ma let let you you have that. Cause I'm I'm a professional. professional. And a professional gets paid for what they do. So, you know, that's also like a real thing. There's being professional and then there's being a professional. A professional gets paid for what they do. Being professional means you know how to do what you do and you do it with excellence. A podcast a podcast network.